Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Blokeology, evidence-based health, fitness and lifestyle for men. My name is Ewan Lawson and this is season 1 of Blokeology. Season 1 is all about running, from getting you started as a complete newbie to exploring new techniques for more advanced runners. Today, John Richmond and I discuss eating, diet and weight loss. We want to cover some initial thoughts and aspects of diet related to weight loss, often an important topic for runners, uh, but obviously an important topic for general health as well. You can find the show notes at www.blocology.io forward slash 006. And you can also sign up for the newsletter, The Journal of Blocology at www.blocology.io forward slash journal. Let's get cracking. Okay, so today, John, we're going to talk about diet and nutrition. But first of all, I just thought I'd ask you how you've been, what you've been up to the last couple of weeks in terms of exercise and running. So I've done one run in this last two weeks. I, I, th- I think I said, but not on previous episode, I've been concentrating on cycling these last sort of six months and done very little running. But um, I, w- I got a new pair of running shoes <laughs> and uh, went out for a run yesterday with my daughter. So we had a nice little nice and easy very easy just jog and walk around for 20 minutes because I was thinking well she she didn't want to do any more than that and I thought I don't want to do any more than that because I haven't done any serious running for about six months so I don't want to yeah fair enough sounds nice nice to go out with the family it is yeah we had a nice chat yeah that sounds good Uh, but you've you've been doing some big cycles haven't you tell us about them yeah so um over the last three weeks so Two week, two weekends with a weekend in between with no cycling. Um, I did an eighty miler uh, three weeks ago around the Trough of Boland, and then uh, this Saturday we did the West Riding Classic, which is a really nice cycle. Uh, starts in Clapham in um, just north of Lancaster. Yeah, goes to Ingleton, then out to Dent, which is a beautiful valley, and uh, then there's a sort of a slog up a hill to a road that takes you down to where the the three peaks uh, challenge was going on so that was going on this weather rest riding classic was going on and um there was also the the felsman yeah um so just at that junction there it was just hooching with people it was so busy yeah and uh, we had to sort of just creep past them on the bikes and try and not knock anyone over or or be knocked over never got past that and um went up to up to malham and got that absolutely for me terrifying descent into malham and um and then round to uh, Settle with another terrifying descent into Settle for me. And then back to Clapham. And again, we had a really nice day. Uh, I arrived out on site, ready to go. I wasn't quite ready to go, but I would have been ready to go at about quarter to nine, only to have found that I'd forgotten my shoes, my cycle shoes with the clip-ins. So very <laughs> luckily, um, Jackie was doing the shorter version. And uh, I just caught her before she left the house and she grabbed my shoes. So... I started a bit late. <laughs> that would, yeah, that's uh, anyway, that's not good. good. Yeah, that's quite covers a lot of ground then. And for those who don't know, the Three Peaks is the the classic fell race. It's one of the real marquee events in the fell running calendar, isn't it? Where they go up. Um, Was it Wernside, Ingleborough, and Penny Ghent? Is it? I want to say Penny Ghent. I'm not. It all sounds a bit Welsh. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I've never done it. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it must be. It's a it's a long old way, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And. What I was surprised when, I, as I was going past them, there was a, there was loads of really what seemed like to me anyway really tall runners. <laughs> I 
And um, I'm sort of used to triathlons and 10Ks. And the, I my, my sense is that, the, that they tend to be shorter. Um, whereas these were just like giants were running past me. <laughs> anyway, maybe it was just a crop of giants. Maybe they weren't all that tall. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not aware of any relationship between the three peaks and particularly vertically um, endowed athletes <laughs> in that regard. Okay, so let, let's get on to some yeah. nutrition stuff. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about diet and you know nutrition, but kind of in broader terms, perhaps in some detail. And we, we're hoping to have a sports nutritionist come on and chat to us uh, in an episode or two to give us some real detail on some of these aspects. So I think we may get some, we may raise some questions today that we don't necessarily have answers for just today. One of the things that I was talking to my wife about this morning was um, about people that have been accused other people of being naturally thin. Um, and I know that weight is, can be a big factor for a lot of people. Do you, you're quite slim, John. Have you ever been, I've had those sort of comments that you're naturally thin and what, how do you feel about that? I, I don't know whether to believe it or not. Um, I'm certainly, I don't, I know I've always not, I've not always been thin, <laughs> uh, but I've managed to keep my weight down. Um, but that has always been through managing my diet and managing my exercise. And it's always something that if I take my eye off it, my weight creeps up, creeps up and then I concentrate for a while, bring it back down. And then I get sick of concentrating on it and it creeps back up. Um, so, but I certainly hear lots of stories and, and know a number of people who seem to just be thin no matter what they do. Um but I, I think they're probably just not eating the volume of carbohydrate that I like to eat. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree. I, 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 I mean, I don't regard myself as naturally thin in any shape or form. I'm about, I'm about eleven and a half stone, eleven stone ten now. But I, as soon as I stop working at it, the weight just goes on me. Um, it it creeps up yeah. no matter what I do, and if I don't exercise regularly, if I don't watch what I eat then it it automatically goes on so i kind of i don't i don't take offense at being called naturally thin but i think i it i'm very aware that in living in the environment we live in you know in the uk that with this food readily available everywhere that if i don't manage that constantly then i will i i overeat i overeat and i'm get lazy i don't do enough exercise and i get fatter yeah same with me. I mean, I do put it down to a certain amount of training that I had as a um, young medic uh, with being on call. You know, you have to grab your food quickly where you can. So, uh, you know, I did, I did learn to eat very quickly and that means I can consume a lot more in a short period of time. And I think that does tend towards um, uh, being able to put the weight on. Yeah. Yeah, it's odd. I think the kind of, as I was reading, I think I got an email today from, I'm on Stephen Guys, the guy who wrote Mini Habits, and I'm on his email list. And there's one came through this morning, and I haven't read the full email, but it talked about sort of um, the compound effect of good habits. And it was quite interesting. Is that kind of like theory of compound interest that you just, you if you save up a little bit over a period of months and years, actually it creates an enormous source of wealth. The compound interest is almost magical in the way it can turn a small amount of money into a, a large amount of money. And I think the point of the underlying article that is that if you just make some, if you have some good habits, and it's the same goes for bad habits, 
actually, if you can just stack those habits up and keep on doing them over a period of months and years, you actually accrue an enormous amount of benefit from that. And then that's the reason why you have people in Glasgow who, you know, have got life expectancies that are 20 years less or whatever it is than, um, or even 30 years less than people in the wealthiest part of the UK. There's absolutely an enormous difference. And I think it's that sort of compounding of good habits and bad habits and, uh, you know, and particularly around diet and food is a particularly difficult area to, for people to, everyone struggles to control what they eat, I think. Yeah. Or, or they have just, or they just have never got into bad habits. I think some people don't struggle and, but I think it's because what they're doing is um, that they're not, as I say, I think they're probably eating a healthy balanced diet and listening to their body and, and being in tune with what they eat and what they're doing rather than being out of step. And I certainly feel out of step. Yeah. I think those naturally thin people that we talk about probably, if you look at them in detail, have got just damn good habits. Yes. And they're, they're so ingrained that they don't even recognize them as habits. That's just the way they live their lives. Yeah. They don't, they don't have to think about it. Like, like we talked about before, any habits, they're just, they happen without conscious thought mm. and that they just, for some certain key aspects of their life, they've just got it exactly right. I'm, I'm sure there are some, there is, there's no question there's a genetic element to obesity as well. So I wouldn't discount that. And I guess the same must apply to people who are naturally lean. But um, I think it's a relatively small component of perhaps our overall makeup when it comes to living in the kind of food-rich environment we live in. Yes. There was a really good program on the BBC last week. I, I think we were talking before and you said you hadn't seen it. It was all about um, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, which I think most people most people in Britain will have certainly come across. He's a, he's actually a journalist, isn't he, Fernley, old Fernley Wernley? And he um, writes about kind of, you know, mostly about kind of getting back to nature and he's run a small... Um, uh, small farm and a, a a small holding, I should say, um, and uh, covered a lot of those sort of things. But he has he got has he got a restaurant as well? I, th- I think I'm not sure. I think that whole River Cottage thing R- is now. Has he written a cookbook? Yeah, he's written several books. Has the River Cottage? That's the thing I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. So the River Cottage has got there's co- there's courses and books and restaurants, and I think it's a whole little industry now, isn't it? Um, but um, he was on. It was he had a TV program all about. I think it was called. I think it was called Hughes Food Fight or Fat Fight or. F- fat food fight or something <laughs> but basically it was raising awareness about the fact that we're all a bit overweight or like large numbers of people in the population are overweight and what to do about it but the bit that interested me most was the bit that something we've talked about in the past was that he named and shamed the well-known news agents or alleged news agents wh smith um particularly on the program on the way that they absolutely push mountains of chocolate and sweets at you whenever you're in the store they try to sell you stuff they try to sell you cheap chocolate it's you're almost completely overwhelmed by the pressure to buy chocolate when you go into wh smith's these days yeah it's that supersize me um selling tactic isn't it yeah and apparently you know they've obviously it's no they've got very good margins that even when you're selling it cheap it's got good margins it's an easy way to make money and people are weak <laughs> and, and you know not like you know to be rude to be we're all weak when it comes to if you just keep getting offered stuff you can only say no so many times before you feel obliged to buy some 
Yeah. So he really named and shamed them. And I think I've got a big thing that this is, I think, when it comes to any runner, anybody, any blokes living in the world these days, is that you have to fight back a little bit against this, that you walk down the street and there's restaurants and there's, you know, there's a Greg's or there's bakeries and there's McDonald's and there's there's a million different places that are trying to force food upon you. And whether it's a supermarket checkout or even if you buy your newspaper, like in WH Smith's, you buy your newspaper in the morning, they're trying to shove chocolate down your throat. Mm. And we have to learn to fight back a little bit and just say no. And I think that's a really key, for me, that was the big difference when it came to actually losing some weight and helping keep weight off is to go, actually, I really don't want that extra, you know, it's even like buying a cream egg. We just, we've just passed Easter at the moment. Mm. You know, they, they, you're, you're, they try and they sell you them in threes rather than ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're always like, you know, you're you sure you just want one. Yeah, I really only want one because if I have three, I'll eat all three and I really don't need that. Mm. So um, I think there's a kind of a growing awareness of that kind of problem. And I think for anybody who's trying to lose weight and stay, uh, manage um, that aspect, so really, you know, recognising the fact that the world, you, the, you've got to fight back a little bit is a really important principle. Yeah. And I think a good way of doing that, um, which I'm sure we're going to go on to, is keeping a track of your calories. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could talk about it now. I kind of, um, I've done a little bit of that in the past and, um, it is amazingly easy these days with, and I used the app, my fitness pal yeah. to do it. And, and I, I gosh, I, I, I learned so much doing it. How about, how about you? What have, what have you done? Have you done the same? Done exactly the same. So I think what I first noticed that I was putting on some weight, um, just trying to think how old my son was, is uh, so it was about 20, 24, 24 years ago, something like that. <laughs> and um, right. my wife, she went on to Weight Watchers at that time, trying to lose some weight after a second, after a second child. And um, I went on Weight Watchers too. You know, it's a lot easier if we're just eating the same things. And so that's not quite calorie counting, but it's basically calorie counting. Um, and that was highly effective at getting stripping weight off, especially at the age I was then. Um, you know, within a few months, I was some sort of um, waif compared to what I'd been before. <laughs> and so I've so Weight Watchers, and I've done Weight Watchers on and off. I've, I've come back to uh, more often uh, just using something like my fitness pal. I'm currently using a thing called Lose It, um, which is similar. Um, I think it's it's slightly better. It's got a slightly bigger database, I think, or the last compared to the last time I was on my fitness pal. So it's a bit easier to scan items in, and and it actually comes up with it. Right. It also has a feature. And I'm going on about this app now. It has a feature that you could photograph food, and it'll give you um, it'll give you something back about that. But I've never I've only used that once, and it wasn't successful, and I just haven't done it since. But apparently, Ooh. it is successful sometimes. Um. So yeah, and just just tracking your calories, seeing how much you're doing. And um, with my, with my um, activity monitor stuff, I can also put in the calories that I'm uh, using in exercise. So I get to eat a bit more of those days. And when I do that, I lose weight. If I don't stick to it, I don't lose weight. It, you know, it's, yeah. it's not, it doesn't happen quite as fast as it did when I was 24. So it's the, the amount of sticking with it requires more um or it feels like it requires more giving up than it used to but um maybe i'm just older yeah. <laughs> and that's just that effect yeah well you're definitely older i'm gonna 
going to stick my neck out there and yeah definitely older so it, it, <laughs> it in whatever way that that has an effect it is having an effect <laughs> i think one of the things i think about being older is that um i just i just I'm less active than I used to be when I was in my twenties because I have a car now yeah. and l- even little things when I was a student is like, I went, I went to the supermarket carrying a rucksack and filled it up with food and then carried it back. Yeah. And now I'm lucky if I get 20 steps when I, if I'm doing that kind of thing. And in fact, even worse, they probably deliver it to my house. Yeah. So I don't even have to, I only have to walk down to the front door and put it away. Yeah. So there's a, there's a myriad of little things like that, that as you get older, make you a little bit less active and I also, I think I, this is, I'll come back to the diet thing, but I, I think that's a big thing about middle-age spread and people talk about, you know, blokes in their thirties, forties, fifties, putting weight on. And I, I'm not convinced a lot of that is metabolic. I just think mm. a large proportion of that, if not all of it is purely to do with the fact you just live your life in a very different way when you're, when you, when you age. And a lot of it is about being less active rather than anything else. Yeah, I totally agree, and uh, I keep I keep forgetting that aspect of things. And um, again, um, you know, just as we have a car that the kids use, and whoever's got it <laughs> puts on weight. <laughs> it's only a little bit, but that, you know, it's kind of you're kind of cursing them with a the car. Oh, excellent! It's like the fat car. So they just, as soon as any, as soon as that individual takes the car, they start piling. That's a really interesting relationship that you've noticed that as well. It, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so the My Fitness Pal, I've used My Fitness Pal two or three times just when, yeah, my weight has crept up and only by about five or six pounds more than I wanted it to. And I've thought, I'm going to have to do something. I've got to get a bit of a grip of this and just kind of level things up again. And I learned quite a lot of things with it when I was doing it. First of all, I learned that exercise is absolutely critical. So the running. I could not lose weight. I would have enormous difficulty losing weight if I wasn't exercising because the kind of the, amount, the number of calories I need to be about right is about as, lo- as little as I can tolerate eating um, when I'm not exercising. And when I exercise, it gives me that bit of leeway that it's not, you know, I could have a little bit of a treat. It's really, it's really Spartan existence if you don't exercise. You're, re- you're really tight on the calories. Exactly. Um, and I'm frequently creeping over. Um, and so the exercise really gives me the leeway to allow that. And my, I, I think my fitness power is tied into Strava. So it, I, it doesn't count all the steps I do in the day. It just, I was really only just counting, uh, the big activities like runs, almost always runs for me, sometimes cycles. But um, a, a fell run, crikey. On the, and the other interesting thing I discovered is if I go out for an hour of fell run, a little bit over an hour, it's well, it's a, it's a thousand calories mm. that I burned. And actually I had enormous difficulty eating up to that. It, it was the other thing that when I went out for big runs, I couldn't eat enough. Mm. Um, and what I also noticed was that the quality of my diet when I was doing more exercise sometimes deteriorated a little bit. And that to make up those extra calories, I was eating just crap. Yeah. You know, it was more likely crappy, refined carbohydrates. And so one of the things I try to do is when I am doing more exercise these days is try to eat a bit more protein because that seemed to be the one key um, essential ingredient, the key sort of major food group that I was a, w- a little bit low on protein when I was, uh, d- when I'm doing a lot of exercise and I tend to make the deficit up with carbohydrates because they're the ones that are you know, you get a bit of a sugar hit, hit, they're a bit of a treat, they're readily available. Yeah. And so the quality of my diet just in turn deteriorates, a li- can deteriorate a little bit when I'm doing more running. 
So it kind of it was really interesting educational experience to see a how hard it is to stick to a weight loss diet without exercise. But B, also I've just got to be a bit careful about making sure when I come back from a run and I'm hungry, I try to eat a bit more. Um, I try to have food that's a little bit better for me rather than just filling up on a bar of chocolate that, um, or going out and buying some crap to eat. Yeah. I mean, it, funny, Lose It does obviously does things slightly a bit different. And one of the things, so I've, I've been taking protein supplements for, I don't know how long now, probably a year, something like that. And, um, so I have protein, extra protein powder in my um, breakfast and and Lose It told me that on the days that I have an extra protein shake in that day, so not just the one in the morning, but I have a shake on top as well, I don't tend to eat as many calories. Right. And that because you're not hungry, you're just not fancying it. And I would, I would, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't have noticed that unless I wouldn't, I wouldn't have realized that, mm. but that was a pattern that Lose It spotted yeah i think with all these apps you can you, you can i i don't i would i would never recommend doing them all the time they can be you can become a little bit obsessive about them and um i, I find it quite hard it becomes a bit it can make eating a bit of a it take can take the joy out of just life a little bit sometimes i find when you're counting every single calorie and looking at every single label um, and if you're prone to any kind of eating disorder, it's probably a disaster yeah. to be using these to obsess over it. But um, I found it for short bursts, really educational. And I would always, every time I've done it, the two or three times, I lose one or two pounds a week pretty consistently. Mm. And within a month, and I think I don't think I've done more than a month each time. So like, I might do it one month per year. And then it just knocks me back, resets my weight a little bit back down to where I should be. So kind of half a stone gets knocked off and I'm, I feel more comfortable again and it resets me. Yeah. So my son has been, since the new year, he has been avoiding sugar. Okay. So he, has to, he hasn't had any puddings. He's, you know, he doesn't take sugar in his drinks, you know, so he's not, he's not actually cutting down carbohydrates per se. But he's ended up eating a lot less carbohydrates uh, because lots of things have refined sugars in. So, you know, if he can spot that it's got a refined sugar, he won't eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, well, last time I spoke to him about it, which was probably, um, I don't know, f- five weeks ago or something like that, um, he'd lost five kilos since wow. Christmas. Wow. And, you know, he wasn't overweight. He wasn't overweight, but now he is lean, <laughs> you know. So, um it made a big difference just cutting out those refined sugars. Yeah, so there's a dieting element to that as well in that he's not just cutting out refined sugars. He's actually, oh, I'm not going to eat that. So he's so he, he's, he is actually reducing his calories as well because the availability of foods is reduced. Yeah, yeah well, it will be in our kind of environments. If you're not eating refined sugar, there's a lot, mm. there's a lot less to eat around. I like, I, I, it's an interesting discussion, isn't it? I don't know where you sit on this in terms of the whole refined carbohydrates, carbohydrates are evil uh, slant that a lot of, uh, that is very, there's a very popular eating approach is why I'm, I'm avoiding saying fad or anything like that, but it's a very popular eating approach at the moment. I mean, I, I think the thing about it is, is it's, it's addictive. So although I don't think that probably a little bit of refined sugar is all that bad, um, but it leads to more refined sugar and you get, you know, you start, well, I'll, I'll have a chocolate bar every day rather than just once a week, you know, and it's, that's the problem with it is that it's a, it, you, you, you get such a, a rush off it that it's difficult to, 
limit that unless you cut it out completely for a while. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't, I, I don't take, I don't subscribe to the view that carbohydrates are fundamentally evil and need to be knocked out of our diets completely. And for people who are just eating protein or fat or other things, but I do think you need to minimize the refined carbohydrates in your diet for a weight loss program to work as well. If you eat, it's almost impossible to imagine if you eat refined carbohydrates regularly that you can achieve weight loss because you'll just be so hungry because they don't fill you up and they don't give you that satiety you need to kind of get through from meal to meal either yeah and i also think that that high glucose load must put a strain on your insulin cells you you know they're having to pump it out in these big rushes and so um you know i'm I'm sure it's not good for you Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I agree. I, don't, I, I think refined sugar is a disaster. I, I just, I kind of, I'm slightly nervous of the extreme viewpoint that carbohydrate, you know, they're, you know, refined sugars are bad. Therefore, all carbohydrates are a disaster. Mm. I don't quite subscribe to that. And I think, and I, you know, I know a few people who avoid all carbohydrates in their diet. Yeah, well, I, ha- I have done that. So I, I did that for a couple of years, ten years ago or something like that. I followed that. Um... <sighs> I can't remember the fad, but anyway, so you cut out all carbohydrates altogether and you go into um, ketosis. It's, At- it's Atkins. It's Atkins, isn't it? So Atkins diet, that's right. So I did that and I probably did it for about a year and um, or maybe even a bit longer. And the thing that happened to me was because you, you start out with no carbohydrate and then you're allowed small amounts, you know, a limited amount of carbohydrates with Atkins. And um, it, of course, those limited amounts were present in things like cream and peanut butter, you know. And if you eat enough of them, <laughs> you get quite a lot of carbohydrate. But of course, yeah. So that is what ended up happening for me is I just ended up binging on cream and peanut butter. And I kind of looked at myself and thought, yeah, this isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did lose weight. You know, okay. so. <laughs> and um, how did you feel with the ketotic element of it? I felt completely normal. I, I think the, only, the thing I really missed... Uh, which is the thing that it does to you uh, is um, I hardly had a poo. <laughs> you know, you hardly ever went because <laughs> you haven't got that carbohydrate bulking it out. And did you miss having a good dump? Was that a problem? Yeah, is it? Is quite. It was quite. I missed that satisfaction. <laughs> Life wasn't as rich. Not at all. Um, I was chatting to another doctor a couple of months ago who did it, um, and. GP runner very writes in the sort of running uh, for women a lot, and she said she did it and she felt pretty dreadful for the first few. And I think this is well known that she felt pretty damn awful for the first uh, for a few days, maybe up to a week, and then well, the ketosis initially kicked in, and then she felt great, very clear headed, and perhaps more energy than normal, and I and felt absolutely fine. And I know that that whole ketosis thing has got a big following, hasn't it? And um, a lot of people. Uh, you know, and even to the extent I've seen it written up as, you know, the, a, a cure for cancer, kind of, you know, a bit of a panacea. Mm. But I think she said she stopped in the end because it was also extraordinarily difficult with a family um, to manage to, you know, in terms yeah. of eating together and cooking for her kids and any other sort of things. Actually avoiding all carbohydrate just was uh, was just incredibly challenging. Yeah. And uh, I, I did. I, I also echo that as well. I, I felt definitely like I had more energy um, on that diet and, you know, less sort of slumps during the day. 
and um, just generally feeling more awake. Yeah, I think you're right. But there's definitely a problem with that carbohydrate, that sort of, you know, the, 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 the peaks and troughs you get, particularly with refined carbohydrates and simple carbohydrates are a real problem. Um, I, I, it leads us into the kind of like things like, you know, what are good dietary principles? And I guess, you know, the Mediterranean diet is the one that's held up from the, by the medical profession currently as perhaps the one with the best possible evidence. And, and I've seen that character, I've seen that characterized as a low carbohydrate diet, high fat diet. Mm-hmm. But though the, I'm not completely convinced that is, is actually what the Mediterranean diet says. Um, but I know there's a bit of crossover there that there's a, there's probably, there's certainly fewer refined, simple carbohydrates. And there's a little bit, there's a little bit less emphasis in that kind of uh, approach where it's all about cutting out the fat, which was what, you know, has been characterized in recent decades up until perhaps this last few years. The approach to a healthy diet is keeping down the saturated fats and having a low fat diet. There's less emphasis and worrying about that. But, um, I mean, I, I, the, I, the Mediterranean mm. diet, there seems to be really good evidence. It's a little bit hard to pick out some of the lifestyle factors in terms of the way that people socially interact around food and other things, which may actually be having as much of an effect as the actual food you stick down your neck. And also, is the, um, I think we mentioned, um, maybe not actually, but the, about their sleeping. So um, that siesta in the afternoon may be having an effect on that as well. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, certainly, um, you know, those, uh, trying to disentangle that kind of uh, factor from lifestyle studies and observational studies is really difficult, isn't it? So, you know, I'd be a little bit, a Mediterranean diet looks like in principle to be a really great idea and a good way to go. But um, it's probably possibly a little bit more complicated than that as well, of course. And it's also hard to pinpoint exactly what that is as well. You know, is it pasta in a tomato sauce or is it pasta with a cream sauce <laughs> there seems to be a lot you know when i think mediterranean diet i think olive oil i think olives and i think salad leaves and pasta and i, I don't really know what else it is um so yeah i think it's like you know it's local it's it's fruit and it's locally produced fruit and veg isn't it seasonal kind of food um but of course if you don't live in the mediterranean then that's not the same necessarily up here in the slightly northern latitude as it is there um, and as you mentioned as well, you know, some of that does involve some pasta. Though actually, I'm not sure pasta is so much of a factor down in some places in the Mediterranean. No. Which is, you know, well, you don't you don't get any more carbohydrate than pasta. No. So, yeah, this is a question for your nutritionist. When Well, yeah. And the other thing, the other question I'm going to ask the nutritionist is about protein supplements, because I'm a little bit, I know you're still using them. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I, and I also did, I, I'm also aware of my own point that I perhaps didn't have enough protein in my diet, that actually what, I shouldn't be making more effort to get it from my diet rather than taking any. I'm a bit, to be honest, I'm a bit anti any supplements, mm-hmm. if I were quite honest. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, I feel the same about it as well. It's a little bit like, um, it feels a little bit like, uh, you know, zero calorie Coca-Cola. It's got stuff in it <laughs> that <laughs> you wouldn't get normally. And um, yeah, that doesn't, yeah. So I'm, a, I'm a kind of aware of that, but yeah. uh, I still do it because I'm naughty. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you're just a kind of, you're a self ex- self-experimenter, John. You don't like, you, you're quite, you like your efforts to stick to the, you know, the Atkins diet and all these sort of things is interesting to. Yeah, yeah. I go for it for a bit and then I find out that it, it doesn't really work and I have to find something else that doesn't really work. 
<laughs> that I guess that's my overall feeling about these is that sometimes I do think I you know a bit of moderation and everything is the answer and these there it's the slight extremes of the spectrum are hard to stick to and probably not very rarely miracle cures and people tend to bounce into them and bounce out again. Mm. Yeah, and uh, and I think another another thing just to think about in terms of of weight is that we tend to think of weight in terms of um the ratio bmi isn't it and um but also what a lot of us look at is we look at ourselves in the mirror and that is such a distorted image <laughs> you know I, I can know on the scales that yeah i'm definitely thin uh but i can look at myself in the mirror and think yeah but that, you know those bits aren't very thin <laughs> Uh, you know, so there's a there's a whole body image thing going on as well, which um, is a, is another aspect to. And you, were, you you touched a little bit on eating disorders as well, and you know there's another aspect to it in terms of your self perception of where you're at um, plays into it. Yeah, I think that's really important, and I, it's kind of something that certainly blokeology have wanted to want to make sure we talk about in you know now and in the future is. It's not helped by all the, it, you know, it's one of those men have that same problem that those kind of unrealistic body images of that you would see on the covers of magazines and uh, as held up as the kind of the defining model of masculinity. And very few of us look mm. like that, despite being in, the, you know, having a BMI that's in the correct zone and eating the right stuff and actually being really incredibly healthy. Mm. That because you don't quite match up to that, you still fret about the, there must be something else I should be doing. And that's, potentially that's obviously incredibly damaging isn't it it is and i think again in that but then you sort of think well i look at the people in the olympics and they look like that but of course they've spent four years getting there for that just that two-week period well yeah and all their lives leading up to it because they're often been training since you know as from adolescence at least all the way through haven't they to you know and long term i i I have a real problem with it's a kind of a a real problem with elite athletes being held up as models for getting people more active and sport because I think they are just the very you know they're 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 the the hundredth percent of the one percent people that have been incredibly successful and they're they're so far at the end of the spectrum that it it distorts your view of what you should be doing a little bit or what we should what's normality yeah. and what's reasonable yeah. Um, there, that's a challenge. And I, I also think for those who don't do any exercise, it becomes there's such a gap between where that person is who's not doing any exercise and where, you know, Jessica Ennis Hill is or Mo Farah is or any of those kind of athletes that actually it looks completely and utterly unobtainable. Yes. And it's you know, there's no way do you look at them and think, right, well, I'm going to be the next Mo Farah if I just go out for a bit of a run, that I'll be absolutely fine. That it becomes, uh, that becomes, it, it's so far removed, it becomes an obstacle to... Um, actually getting people mm. more active um, and the the weight thing feeds into that as well a little bit doesn't it that you just yeah kind of you know if you're very if you're you know if you have unrealistic expectations it's very hard very hard one of the things i kind of in terms of the weight thing that i think is really important is people being realistic is that and i was just lecturing the medical students about this last week is that the average bmi in the uk is now like 27 and a half i think um mm. So even, and Hugh Fernley Whittenstall was weighed and measured as part of the TV program and his BMI was 26.2. And actually he looked pretty lean. Yeah. He looked pretty lean on the TV. Certainly he showed pictures, pictures of himself when he's been fatter. Um, 
And but even at twenty six point two, he is actually above. That is above. That is overweight. That's officially in the overweight category, and means he has higher risk of various medical problems as a result. But because he's below average, there's a real disincentive for him to do much about it, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to get suckered a little bit as kind of norms have shifted. And so somebody, my BMI is now like twenty two and a half or twenty two and a half to twenty three. I haven't worked it out for a bit. But actually, I look really lean and I look uh, sometimes I think I possibly look alarmingly lean mm. <laughs> to people who haven't seen me for a while. And you almost look unwell yeah. as a result of it because people are so unused to, you know, being a, being a little bit overweight doesn't have to make you look well. Yeah. Um, you know, it fills out your features a little bit. And actually being very lean makes you look a bit more wrinkled. Yeah. <laughs> BMI is an important measure. One of the things I also mentioned to the students last week was that BMI is very much a population health measure. And it is possible to have a BMI of 25 or slightly over 25 and be perfectly healthy. Um, and especially if you're carrying a bit of muscle, which is the case with some men. But I, equally, it's good for them not to kid themselves. If your BMI is 26, that's sometimes that's because really you're a stone overweight. You know, you, you could do with losing, you could do with losing a little bit rather than because mm-hmm. you've got some muscles. So I certainly encourage the patients to try to measure waist circumference as well, which is a really good one to add in. Um, And I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but waist circumference. I think there's some evidence that it correlates really well with cardiovascular risk. Um, And so when you're looking at those things yourself, actually uh, waist circumference plus BMI and then looking at yourself in the mirror without trying to be too critical uh, and having unrealistic aspirations is probably... A pretty yeah. good combination to tell you whether or not you need to losing a bit of weight might be something you want to do. Well, we certainly covered a lot of ground there and many topics that we'll be coming back to and taking a deeper dive in the future. Thank you very much for listening. The show notes for this episode can be found at www.blocology.io forward slash zero zero six. Please do leave a review and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or through your preferred podcatcher. Any feedback is very welcome and you can leave comments, send email or make contact via Twitter, Facebook and the usual social media channels, details of which can be found at www.blocology.io. Thanks again. Thanks again.